disillusioned with his family's legacy of crime, Al Craven, son of THE Craven, embarks on a journey out west with his girlfriend and pet wolf to seek redemption as a Hollywood producer. But when the Rothsteins, the dirtiest and most powerful players in the industry and totally not even trying to hide at analogs for the infamous Weinsteins, get wind of this venture, they vow to do whatever it takes to stop him, even if it means raping and pillaging their way through Al's life. Join us as we read 2002's Get Craven and ask the philosophical question, if the Me Too movement starts in a Spider-Man comic that nobody has ever read, does it still count as a key issue? On this week's excruciating installment of... Oh God, it burns. All right, here we go. Thank you for coming back for another episode of... Oh, God, it burns! And this week, we're going to be taking a look at, like, what we thought was going to be the joke of jokes. Actually, is, like, one of the most important forgotten comics of the last, like, 20 years. Like... That's underselling it. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much from the first page, I read this, I'm like, oh, my God, did... Did, did this really do what I thought it did? But before we get into that stuff, uh, we're just going to go ahead and give you a quick synopsis and historical background on what this comic was, all right? So, this is actually following uh, the, the adventures of Craven's son, Aloysia Cravenoff. So, J.M. Demetrius, his big, big story, one of the uh, most regarded Spider-Man stories of all time, Craven's Last Hunt. Craven finally caught Spider-Man, buried him alive, then shot himself in the face. So he's dead. He's wiped off. And then when DeMatteis came back, like, throughout the Clone Saga, and then when he, like, once that ended and Peter Parker was reinstated, all of a sudden, this guy named Aloysia Cravenoff starts coming around, and it basically looks like Craven Craven. with just a giant beard. No, it's Craven 2.0. At this particular point, it's like, look, we need a Craven, but we're not going to undo that Craven because that was a great... Well, everyone regards it as a really great storyline, and it pretty put, pretty much puts a nail on it. I mean, and the Grim Hunter just sucked. I mean, yeah, he shot himself, and the Grim Hunter was no Craven. He, yeah, he's clearly a bad. That was the Clone a, Saga Craven. Yeah, so they had um, and he had another one too, Vladimir Craven, which was the Grim Hunter too. Was it? There were two Grim Hunters. There were two Grim Hunters, and Vladimir was uh, not that great of a. Yeah, Craven. I mean, Grim Hunter's just a bad character. Yeah. But when this guy came on, Aloysia, he basically looked like Craven. Spider-Man was going through a lot of hallucinogenic stuff because DeMatteis had him, like, confronting the, uh, what was it, like, the jack-o'-lantern at this time. And also, Craven's just full of hallucinogens, which you can't have a Craven story without Peter Parker getting tranked. Somehow. And starting to see some weird stuff. It happens in every uh, Craven story. But yeah, this Craven was a little bit better than previous Craven. That's why it's 2.0, because he's actually a mutant. Yeah, um, he was born with these powers. He was born with the powers. He did um, take the same potions as his dad, but it was his dad taking all those potions who passed the genes on, and then an unnamed mutant mother who gave him the ability to communicate and control animals, mm-hmm. which we see is pretty prevalent in this series that we picked out. Um, but I guess uh, after the whole Craven, he came back and started attacking Spider-Man. He made peace with Spider-Man, and then he kind of needed to find an outlet for him, so... This series came about and uh, kind of switched the status quo of uh, Alio Sure Al, as we yep. learned. Just call me Al. <laughs> Just call me Al. <laughs> I think that I, was like. I think somebody was listening to that while they were typing yeah. the story. Oh, like, that's exactly what it was. You see all the different name drops and allusions that are in here. The fucking series is called Get Craven. You can tell. A like, throwback to Get Shorty, <laughs> which is a movie that no one remembers from like a decade before this came out. But. Yeah. 
maybe even dipping a little bit into it, I found out that the Spanish name of this one was Spider-Man, the Monsters of Hollywood. Monsters of Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason for that. <laughs> so yeah, so uh, this kind of came out, the big glut when the first Spider-Man movie came out. This was in 2002 it came. And Ron Zimmerman came from Hollywood, same as this guy named Kevin Smith. Have you ever heard of him? Uh, Ron Zimmerman has, because <laughs> he says his name seven Ron times Ron an issue going into this. But... Ron Zimmerman comes in because Joe Quesada, who was doing Marvel Knights at the time, and now he's EIC, editor-in-chief, he goes ahead and he starts bringing other people in from it. Because after Kevin Smith makes it huge with his Daredevil run, he's just like, yep. I get it. The magic sauce is getting people from Hollywood. So this guy who wrote these episodes of Seventh Heaven, <laughs> maybe step by step, I can't remember. He also went on to date Cher, maybe marry her. Isn't that something everyone does in Hollywood? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's had a stint on Step by Step. <laughs> and everyone has dated Seventh Heaven and everyone's dated Cher. <laughs> like, there are some things that are just inescapable <laughs> with Hollywood. So they bring in Ron Zimmerman. This may have been one of the first things that he wrote, aside from, like, a Jay Leno Spider-Man team-up that ran in the backup of a bunch of different stuff. And this came out with, like, big. It had Joe Quesada homage covers to a bunch of famous movie uh, movies, like there's the uh, uh, Scarface cover, there's a, um, what is it, I'm thinking, Jaws, they've got Home Alone, they do a really good job homaging these yeah. covers, and this is supposed to be, like, built up as this big, big thing. At least, like, when you look at it on the front, you're like, man, this looks like it's going to be really, really interesting. Good. They're taking Craven, Al Craven, and they're doing something with him that's completely different. And I'm all on board. And then I remember when this first came out, reading the first issue and going, nah, I'm good. I'm a hard pass on this. Yeah. Well, there's a, there was a lot about the first issue. Like, the artwork, eh. John McCrea. Yeah. Just, he of Hitman. Yeah. I could never get behind his artwork, really. No, it, it, it's, it's somewhere between, like trying to be a comic book and trying to be like a cartoon at the same time like yeah. body shapes are completely thrown to the wind mm -hmm. i mean it works in this one specifically because the characters that he drew when the body shapes were like awkward and weird like if, if you told a kid to draw an evil fat man he nailed it which going back to what we talked about before <laughs> those evil fat men or fat men they were the rothsteins which stein holy shit <laughs> This comic was, like, one of the first things to ever attempt to take down Harvey Weinstein and his brother, like, yep. the Weinsteins. And it's not just, like, a throwaway thing in the first issue. No, like it's I mentioned. It their name is mentioned almost as much as Kevin Smith's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they appear as much as Kevin Smith. But you can't tell because they're both as fucking fat as <laughs> Kevin Smith. And in case you're wondering, like, it really does go to the full extent of what we know of Harvey Weinstein and his brother today. Like, it really does flesh all that stuff out to the point where, like, I'm reading this, and this story sucks. But the stuff of the Weinsteins or the Rothsteins are just fascinating as all fuck. I also have to point out that they constantly correct when everyone's like, Rothstein, Stein! Just <laughs> almost as if, like, like do you want to get sued? Yeah, no. <laughs> it's Rothstein! They're going back to the old young Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so the whole thing starts out. Craven, he is uh, just finds out that his dad had a connection in Hollywood. Uh, Ted something. Ned. 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 
Ned Tannergarden or Tannergarden Ned Tannenbaum or whatever no one cares <laughs> but he finds out that he has a connection in Hollywood that his uh, father had so he decides like you know what I'm gonna stop you know, being an anta- like a antagonizing. He kind of this is kind of like really Craven's midlife crisis. Is it really what it yeah. comes down to? Like he's sitting in the bar and he's like, I kind of want to do something in my life. Like this is boring. Every day I wake up and run around and I don't do anything. And like, so he's just like, all right, you know what? I'm gonna do something great. And he has a powwow with Spider Man. And Spider Man's like, yo, why don't you go to Hollywood and tell a story as a throwaway joke? And yeah, it, it kind of stuck. And he's like, Hollywood, you say? And then he goes, like, I have a I connection. I do have a connection. <laughs> and it just kind of, like, ABCs his way to Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. He just loads up his car with his hot girlfriend and his Timberwolf. Yeah, like, his, his pet Timberwolf. <laughs> and he goes out to Hollywood, and he just starts throwing his family's fortune behind trying to make a script. Hmm. And meanwhile, there's, like, a parallel story that runs in the background where this one guy who's like supposedly like a really good script writer and he's writing this story about how the government's trying to hide the cure for cancer from like the public and then he takes it to the Rothsteins who are these comically fat fucking lard asses like who constantly the entire, shoving food in their mouth one right? of them's got a big pie then the next one he's got a turkey that he's just biting into like and he's farting all the time and they're just making like the most nastiest jokes but it it was enjoyable watching mm. that part because you immediately get it like, oh, these are the Weinsteins. Yeah. Like, I wonder if they're going to go there. <laughs> oh, they absolutely did, right? Right from the introduction where the, it starts off, it's like, yeah, we're, we bought your script. And he's like, you bought my script? This is great. All my dreams are coming true. I worked months on that script. And it's like, yeah, we want you to work with Kevin Smith. <gasps> I get to work with Kevin Smith? He's That's the greatest awesome. script he's writer. Like, <laughs> script writer ever. I can't wait to work with Kevin Smith. And it's like, great. He's rewriting your script. And he's like, Kevin Smith's rewriting my script? Yeah, but it's a serious script about, like, the government hiding care for cancer. He's like, Kevin Smith's never written anything like that. It's like, I know, we didn't like that part. We're going to turn it into a comedy. It's now about curing athlete's foot. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, you get Kevin Smith the fuck away from us. You tell that fat fuck to leave my yeah. script alone. <laughs> he's a hack. He's the worst thing that's ever happened. <laughs> so... Big turn on Kevin Smith within the, like, the opening sequence, which is understandable because later on in the story you find out that it wasn't just Kevin Smith rewriting the story. He basically just took his old Superman script and <laughs> rewrote it with the same characters. <laughs> <laughs> which is one of the few jokes in this that actually absolutely lands. <laughs> He's like, God damn it, he just gets sold us the Superman script yeah. again. Uh, so in the meantime, Al's in Hollywood... And he's trying to find something, him and Timber, and they, like, start their own production company. I, I forget what that was. It was, like, the Hunter... It, it was, like, Hunter Productions, but their biggest thing is, like, first he started finding the talent, but the issue is they didn't have a product. They needed this script. Mm-hmm. Like, they needed some kind of, like, script. So he's sitting there, like, hiring people. Then they also, like, throw out something about, like, cancer, too. So it was just, like, I want to say that in an earlier episode he throws out something about, like, something about, like cancer in the yeah something, something he's like something serious i think he it was like a throw line he's like something serious that actually says something like a cancer or something and then he just kind of forgets all about it and just yeah. starts reading like these scripts and he's like these are awful yeah and just constantly like looking through and he's like we need to find a good script we need a product and he's like at this point he's losing all his money because he's paid for like he's living in scott Bayo's house yeah his mansion <laughs> scott Bayo's mansion yeah, yeah. 
I wonder what's happened of that mansion of late. <laughs> but meanwhile, the whole story goes like the scriptwriter he had like too much of a conscience, so we ended up buying back his script from the Rothsteins. Uh, only they jacked up the price because it it's like fetched a higher thing right now. It's like, no, this is my baby. I'm gonna make it. And then he goes home, tells his girlfriend. His girlfriend dumps him, and manager kicks him out. Like, and he becomes suicidal. So the entire series is like every time the scriptwriter comes on. It's him going through like different ways of trying to kill himself. It, it's a really awful and downbeat. And the worst part is that like you kind of see it as both an exaggerated but an exact parallel of what would happen in Hollywood. Yeah. Like he sold he finally got his dream come true, but there was a catch. His finished product wasn't what he wanted. He wanted it back. So what they did is like we'll sell it to you for all the we'll take the money back plus five hundred thousand dollars, which is like I'm I'm coming to you for money. I have none. Yeah. Um. So he sold his house. Tries to live with his girlfriend. His girlfriend's like, what, you're not? You, you you sold it back. You took it back. You gave away all of the money that you got for the script. Forget you. I am Clearly, done. you ain't ready for this, Jelly. And, and then, then his, she just yeah. walks up. And then the manager is like, oh, you are the greatest. I mean, you are like Picasso with a pen. Like, you were one of the best writers ever. And I'm, I, you know, you were my favorite client. And he's like, wait, what? You said no to money. He's like, you said no to money. I can't have that. Like, that's, that's a bad trend. If you say no to money... And I keep you on. And my other guys say no to money. Soon nobody has money. So, bye-bye. Mm-hmm. So he's left with nothing except this script. And he's constantly just trying to off himself. While holding the script. While holding the script. <laughs> he's got the script and he's just like, I'll kill myself with the script. He's probably just trying to like, what was the name of the guy who did, um, what was it? Confederacy of Dunces. One of the greatest novels of all time. I think his name was something Kennedy. Uh, I, I know his last name was Kennedy. But, like, he killed himself, then all of a sudden his mom found it, and it became, like, this huge thing. So it's, like, kind of trying to parallel that, where it's, like, he's trying to kill himself, and then hopefully, posthumously, something happens of this. And uh, later on, he ends up jumping off of the, the roof of one of the studios yeah. uh, after Gary Coleman lets him in. Gary, Gary Coleman, not Webster. Not Webster. Webster's working at the other game. Webster's at the other game. <laughs> Which is also a sad See fact. See how much of, better that joke is yeah. <laughs> than what it was on the page? I mean, it, it's so great, but also, like, the real-life contact of, like, the Earth celebrities, but, like, once their 15 minutes are up, what are they? They're, like... Yeah, they're security they're guards. They're security guards. <laughs> so it does have, like, this really sad undertone that runs through it, and it's just, like, you don't want to take anything seriously in this. No, because especially because... Because like, the story sucks. It does. But, but at the same time, what we know about Hollywood right now, it parallels so well. It's like it's like he incidentally wrote like a Hollywood memoir, but didn't realize it. Yeah. Like if he had just tried to do that instead of write a Spider Man Craven story, he'd probably been better off. Yeah, for sure. Um, so he tries to off himself by jumping off, lands on the roof of a car. Craven and Timber are just walking by and they like they're like, Oh man, he just killed himself and then Timber picks up the script and she's like, Dude, this is actually really good. So they're like, yeah, we should make this. And then they look over and they see this. Guy. No, wait. Before he does that, Craven's like holding the, the dead guy. And just, they just him. shucks him away. He's like, well, we got what we needed. <laughs> and then like they're like, oh, we're going to make this. And then they look at him and they're like, oh, my bad. <laughs> and then Timber's like, are we terrible people? I'm like, yeah. yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then they go about making that movie. But in the interim... All the stuff that happens with Craven really is pretty much negligible yeah. up to this point. But we have like something where like Craven's uncle, uh, Dmitry Smerdyakov, the chameleon, chameleon, believes that he is Craven, Al's dad. 
So he's like trying he to hunt him down and being like, come on, son, let's go. Into and he's just like, you're not my dad. You're my uncle. And he's just like just flipping his nut because he feels like he's being spurned by his only son. So he's like trying to hunt his son, which really does go nowhere. No, it absolutely does. And I, I think that's actually a callback to when Alicia was first uh, introduced. It was actually through the chameleon that he found out all about his dad. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why they decided to suddenly give the chameleon a mental breakdown and why he decided to just well, be like... Well, he did have a mental breakdown at the end of Damatase's run. That's after Mary Jane beat the hell out of him. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that is Which, true. by the way, like all of Damatase's like, post-clone saga stuff, like there's that stretch where it's like the unsung like golden era of Spider-Man. Like You can find so many great stories in that. Like, the Legion of Losers was introduced in that same run. You had uh, Al Craven, a, one of my favorite chameleon stories of all time, where it just shows, like, how manipulative he was. Then he gets beaten by Mary Jane, pretending to be Peter Parker. That's right. And then you also had, like, what was it, Tom DeFalco and Steve Scrosh were doing a really good, like, Doc Ock and Electro story. Todd DeZago was over on Sensational with Mike Moringo yeah. doing like good stuff with the Trapster and Hydro Man and then Howard Mackey and John Romita Jr. were good before they sucked Actually, <laughs> you know like that's some good stuff so he's pulling from this era that means a lot to me and I'm like cool like that that backup story where it's just like Al versus his uncle in yeah. the first issue I really enjoyed that. No. I thought that was probably the best thing of this whole series besides the stuff we're going to get to later for the Golden Colonel but that stuff right there, I was just like, man, he's really taking this and he's running with it. And then it literally goes nowhere. Yeah, there's a little bit of a callback to it with Ned being like, yeah, I broke him out because he's crazy and he thinks he's Craven. And I sent him on the track of, you know, uh, Al to go ahead and take him out. Yeah, which Ned, the guy that Craven has the connection with, he's the guy that's like controlling the Rothsteins. Yeah. I almost said the Weinsteins are the same thing. At this point. He's yeah. the guy who's like kind of making everything miserable just well, because. I, I think the whole point is, and that's probably the callback to get Shorty, is that like it turns out that the guy that set everything in motion and be like, yeah, sure, I'll help you get a studio and a place to live is secretly the one behind all of the misery that's happening to Al and Timber and everything. He's pulling all the strings, and he's so he's trying to be the good guy, but he's also really trying to set them up for failure. So it comes out that um, this guy Ned, and a point in the story is one another one of Craven's illegitimate sons. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one has no powers, no nothing. Just and he runs around in a helicopter beanie and yeah. a, a belly shirt, <laughs> and he's like the most powerful guy in Hollywood. Yeah. So he, with all this power and stuff, he decides that like I'm gonna get back at. The guy that got all the looks, all the power, and everything, and now wants to move in on my turf making movies, this will not stand. So um, he sets everything up, including uh, finding henchmen for the Rothsteins to use. Oh my god. Uh, We'll get to those. We want to talk about throwaways. (laughs) These are some of the worst throwaways in, like, all of anything. Like, you can tell that Ron Zimmerman was trying his best to be, like, crazy Garth Ennis. Yeah. And even to the point where they got John McCrea, who worked with him on Hitman and a couple other things, like, over here to to kind of, like, ape his style and everything. But just the, the sad fact is that Zimmerman is no Ennis. No, 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 no. When Ennis makes a throwaway character that's going to make you laugh, it works. Yeah, except for Big Nappy. <laughs> In the Punisher run, I hated Big Nappy. It mostly works. It mostly <laughs> works. Um, like, like his run on the boys and some of the superheroes he introduced and how they went down... Um, Listen, we don't talk about the boys till we talk about the boys. That's fair. That's fair. 
that by the way, that's going to be on the best of the worst. We're not endorsing the boys <laughs> whatsoever. No. That was one of the the Garth Ennis comics that made me reevaluate what I liked about Ennis. It started off well, but it quickly nosedived. Although, I will have to give a quick plug out. The show is fixes pretty much. I still haven't seen it. But I remember reading an, an interview where they said that like they don't want to do shocking for the sake of shocking, which is basically the whole point of the series. Yeah. So they like didn't want to do anything that didn't completely fit with the character motivation. No, there, there's definitely a storyline there that's that they're building towards, which is great because that's what was missing from the boys was the underlying storyline. It seemed really good, and you saw, thought you saw where the plot points were going. Yeah. And they're like, nope, shock value, shock value, and that's it. And they just kept throwing mm-hmm. you. And eventually you're just like, all right, I'm desensitized to everything you've given me now. It doesn't matter. Yeah, this is absolutely terrible. But then getting back to the henchmen, yes. keeping that in mind, like the boys is a, a frame of reference, uh, we get some of the most batshit, like Garth Ennis wannabe henchmen in the, the, the form of this guy named Stitch, who's this guy with a giant scar that's running down his neck, huge bodybuilder, but for whatever fucking reason... He's got, like, cement arms that have bottle caps just, yeah. like, stuck in his arms. And then you have this guy named the Script Doctor, who does nothing. No, he just stands there <laughs> and, and dresses. He has, like, like, a scalpel. He's, like, every, like, time you've seen, like, a throwaway villain in, like, those 80s bins, like, the evil doctor. He just shows up with a, holding a scalpel and wearing a doctor. Like, you never see his face or anything, and he's just like... The script doctor. Oh, no. <laughs> he had like one of those masks that like it was basically like a like the big surgeon hood mask yeah. that came straight. Oh, it wasn't even a surgeon mask. Was it, it looked kind of like almost like a foot soldier with the long like almost shawl that came down. <laughs> it was terrible, but by far one of the most interesting henchmen, which also doesn't go anywhere, is what Bruno, the gerbil, the gerbil. What? What? Pray tell. Like, see, I get, I get Stitch. I get Stitch. See, I, I, Stitch, there's a lot of plastic surgery that goes on. I don't know anyone who put fucking bottle caps in their fists. But, uh, you, I mean, script doctor, there's a lot of scripts you can take it apart, but what's the gerbil, Bruno? Uh, for that one, I think we're probably going to have to go ahead and talk to our friend Richard Gere. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you can look up that particular urban legend of your own accord. No, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> that boy put a gerbil up his ass. He did, <laughs> and it was actually did. very famously uh, uh, made fun of on the the uh, the episode of South Park with yeah. Mr. Slave with Lemmy Winks the Gerbil oh. King <laughs> and, and his <laughs> epic journey, <laughs> which you can also play if you play the uh, South Park uh, yeah. video game. There's actually a whole thing in there where Not- you're going through Mr. Slave's ass. <laughs> But the gerbil, this giant gerbil in like a gangster like tie and suit. Again, nothing, but it's just like, these are all supposed to be manifestations of, like, Hollywood legends and stuff. And by far, the most grotesque Hollywood legend was the Rothsteins. Yeah. Which end up, they, they come back with the henchmen, and then they leave. I don't even realize that why they were in Craven's house at first. I guess they got sent by Ned. Yeah. Uh, Ned like issue four or something. Ned, uh, Ned hired them to go ahead and take out Al, um, because he didn't give him a reason. He's just like, make sure that didn't happen, because... Initially, they were upset because they found out that there's an up and starter, um, and that he's Craven. And apparently, they follow up with superheroes up in NYC, and they're like, "Oh no, this Craven superhero, this might be a thing. People might jump on him, and he's gonna set up a studio, and we're gonna and have no some one problem. can have a new studio, and no one can have a new studio unless they run it through us." And then Ned comes over, and is like, I, "So they go see Ned, and 
like we need more information on this guy and he's like you need to stop this guy uh i i don't want to hear it you need to stop him stop him like make him dead oh okay we'll get our henchmen right on it he's like why are we gonna make him dead because i said so Mm-hmm. Um, and so they go over to his house, and I guess he wasn't home the first time, so they're like, oh, nothing we can do! And no, that's, they hang out, and then that's when they come home, and then the, the, was it, the henchmen, they get in their fight, yeah. and the henchmen go down quick, and then they just, the raw scenes just run away. Yeah. Like, they just hightail their fat asses out there, and then they hop in the hot tub with Ned, and Ned's in there with, like, a hot girl, and they're like, oh, come here, baby! And they're like, hey, Uncle Rothstein! And then they're like all like kissing on this girl and stuff that's like the first hint like oh he might be going here with the the Weinsteins yeah and then later on they come back as like Craven's about to get everything I, I set gotta up I gotta throw down one quick thing what is it there's also that one throwaway which kind of seems like a Kevin yeah. Smith joke where he's like alright you guys go ahead and he's sitting in the hot tub and he's like so you guys know what to do right go ahead and do this meanwhile somebody here has gotta go ahead and give me that back rub and one of the Rothsteins goes he's like I didn't mean you. I met the chick in the bikini. <laughs> and he's like, you weren't really going to do that, were you? He's like, no. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that. But yeah, then they come back later, and they uh, are like inside the house, and Craven's trying to get the stuff started up. He's got the, the uh, what is it? He's got his uh, actors. He's got... Pretty much everyone there. Even Vulture comes in to help him out with everything. I think they're just, like, they're chilling in the pool kind of like getting everything all squared away because I think at this point they had the script yeah they had the script and, and, and this is after they like, found him after he they would, finally have everything all squared away and they're just chilling there like uh, um, they're all hanging out by the pool so he's like I'm gonna go inside and make some cocktails anyone want any like completely caught off guard then Timber's like you know what I'm gonna go change into my bathing suit and we're gonna jump in the pool which is cool because mm-hmm. that's her place and then she goes in there and she's got her wolf nickels the one that uh, we didn't talk about Timber beating the hell out of everyone we'll talk about that we'll later. get that in a little that's, bit that's coming up later but she goes in to uh, go get changed, and all of a sudden, like, the henchmen and the Rothstains hop out of the closet, and they start just beating the ever-loving hell out of her. And then they the scenes like, order them to shoot the, the dog, dog in the head. And then they go ahead, and they just rape Timber. Timber. Yeah. It's off-panel, but you know exactly what happened. Yeah, they absolutely like, it was. It was one of the most disgusting things. And looking back, like, now knowing what we know about Harvey Rothstein, Weinstein, like this massive fuckhead. Like you can see, like Ron Zimmerman clearly has heard all the, all of the rumors. He probably had firsthand knowledge of a lot of things. Probably knew people who were affected by this, and this was like his outlet for it. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, like Craven's incapacitated because he got jumped going back mm-hmm. in to make cocktails, and he got the, like shit Should knocked out of him. But man, when he finds out that Timber oh, got it, raped, it, like, it's on. he goes on like a revenge spree. Yeah, and I, I will say with the scene, like literally, they they portrayed it. It was clearly Harvey, as far as it goes, right down yeah. to the, like, oh, you think you're a strong, independent female? Let me sh- and who never shuts her mouth. Let me go ahead and shut that mouth for you. Like yep. it's it's that level of like awfulness. Um, and yeah, and it's clearly like even though it happened off panel, it's very much alluded to when they come in. She's like disheveled, covered up, and she, the, he's like, "Are you okay?" And she's like. I don't know how to answer that. And it's one of the one of the only things in here that's like tonally appropriate yeah. for the story. Like when that happened, like I could have easily seen this going into like super weird, like gratuitous territory, but it just happens. Yeah. And that's like a plot point in the story. And I almost wish like the whole story 
was about all these monsters in Hollywood and kind of getting all that stuff going instead of like Craven trying to start up his own thing. Yeah, I think it may have been more memorable that way. Instead, like people just saw this as like, oh, get Craven. That's kind of like the movie from ten years ago. Get Shorty. Ah, yeah. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> and then no one picked it up and read it. Well, because they're like, oh, Spider Man's in it. No, uh, not really. All right. No, we're, he, we're done. he leaves in the first issue and he doesn't come back till the last issue. Yeah. When he comes back, like he's with Craven, going on his revenge spree with the Vulture, who's sporting like these cute little hair plugs. <laughs> well, he's well, trying to remake himself in Hollywood. We'll get to those again later. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, um, they go ahead and uh, hunt down the Rothsteins from some... Uh, and Craven cuts his t- cuts their tongues out. Tongue, you know. And then Vulture basically gives them a sex change Strange operation. Yep. <laughs> Which... I, I, which is very cathartic. Looking back, it's like when you watch *Inglorious Bastards*, you see like Hitler being shot up at the end. Or have you seen uh, Quentin Tarantino's new yeah. movie yet? Uh, no, I haven't. I'm seen not going to ruin it for you then. But by the time this comes out, you probably would know what I'm talking about. But it does have some revisionist history type of stuff in nice. it. Nice. But it's like you, I, I love so much just watching Vulture. Just like he, you didn't watch him do it, but you knew what happened. He like pulled out a scalpel and was just like. Now, what he did to you will not stop you from doing that to other girls, but what I'm going to do to you will. will. And then when they show up later dressed as women... And, and like, they're, they're the Rothstein about, sisters now. The Rothstein sisters. Like, you know exactly what happened. <laughs> but I really find it funny that... And, and this is where the parallel, I think, really hits home, is that in spite of everything that was done to them, they never lost their, their foothold on Hollywood. Mm-hmm. They still continue to operate, even in spite of all the awfulness yeah. that they've done. They were still there they, as the sisters? As the sisters, but still holding that... This was before the Wachowskis became sisters. I, I Actually, I was thinking of that parallel right when, when I read that. I'm like, oh, Is okay. Rob Zimmerman an oracle of the <laughs> ages? <laughs> <laughs> he may very well be. Um... But yeah, uh, and again, like in spite of everything that happened, you know the status quo goes back. They're still operating in Hollywood, and Craven takes a big cue and decides that the movie industry is not for him, uh, and he's better off becoming, you know, a very memorable duo with yeah. him and the Vulture. And the, clearly, that went on to shit stardom that like unparalleled. Nelly, that was never referenced again. Yeah, they were going. <laughs> They were going to be a superhero team, and then all of a sudden it just, it never went anywhere. Like, Craven never showed up again except to, like, die. Yeah, right. <laughs> I guess in, like, uh, a Scarlet Spider series. No, he... He died at the hands of Kane when he was Scarlet Spider. Okay. Um, or yeah. he just died somewhere in that, but I think, did he come back for Grim Hunt, too? He, did, you know, he came back for the uh, the Gauntlet. With, the Gauntlet with Grim Hunt. With Yeah, and yeah. he was... With Joe Casey, he was there until like, the very end, killing it. Until you find out later on that there can only be one heir of Craven, and so it wasn't him. Yeah, it was Anna. But uh, yeah, so he, he didn't really do much with his life after that. And the Vulture, the any character development that was created in the series was immediately washed away to, upon his next appearance. Because apparently, not only did the public not read this, no one else bothered to read this yeah. at Marvel, and they were like, you know what, that's out of continuity and stuff. Even though there is a pretty decent nod to continuity in this, when in the last issue when Spider-Man comes back, and he's just like, well, thank you so much for coming down and helping me out, Spider-Man. I was like, oh, it's okay, I was actually in town anyway. I was dealing with this lobster man and two Dr. Octopuses, which is actually a storyline, like one of my favorite storylines from J. Michael Straczynski's run. I think it was like Amazing Spider-Man, like, 
41 or something like that. Like, it was a three-issue arc. And I think that also reintroduced Mary Jane to the fold, too. So you had that little nod to continuity. Plus, he also was making fun of how late Kevin Smith is on scripts because I think at the same time, Daredevil Target (laughs) came out with its one issue that was supposed to be like a six-issue follow-up to Kevin Smith's run on uh, Daredevil. Daredevil Target will be finished by 2025. <laughs> you know what pisses me off the most about that? It was a good issue. <laughs> it was a good issue. He killed so he killed, didn't he kill like a nun with a toothpick or something like no, that? No, he killed the mother with a freaking uh, it was like this is my favorite part. It made Bullseye even if you didn't know anything about Bullseye. No, the toothpick was the movie. Yeah, the, the toothpick It was, was something really similar in this one. But no, in, in this one is the, the very ending like the whole point of it was um, they these guys needed to get rid of Daredevil, and so they hire Bullseye at the end. And it was like his whole interview process for Bullseye. And at the very end, it's like, so why do you think we should hire you? Because he's like, all right, I'll take it, but you guys are going to pay me three times what you offered. And he's like, well, why would we do that? We're not even sure we want you. And he's like, all right, look out that window. And there's like a mother feeding her child, and he has a yeah, toothpick in his hand, the- and he looks at it, and it's just like, what? And just flicks it out the window, and he's like, I just made an orphan out of that kid. Yeah, with a toothpick from like one high-rise to another and they're just like oh which is okay. such a cool issue that never got followed and then he's, and apparently what, like adam and andy kubert that did, also like, an introduces issue the whole bullseye with the bullseye which got picked up for the movie but yeah. the series went nowhere but what pisses me off the most bendis's daredevil run is one of my favorite runs in all of comics and he clearly set up something with bullseye that got to get held off because kevin smith called up and bitched that he wanted to do the follow-up that he never followed up on <laughs> So then let that bullseye it, thing let, let it out, actually man. like, let it out. oh, God. <laughs> it and, burns? And then, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> and then Bendis just had, like, Matt Murdock, like, carve the bullseye straight into his face with a stone. Like, that was really cool. But the bullseye story went nowhere. Yeah. And I was so mad at it. But getting back to this. Oh, also, going back to Kevin Smith. <laughs> at the same time. That fat fuck. Not at the same time, that fat motherfucker. <laughs> that fat he was supposed to take over Amazing Spider-Man with Terry Dodson following uh, a series that he was doing with Terry Dodson called Spider-Man Black Cat, The Evil That Men Do, but that never finished for, like, years. It did include a rape scene, though. It did include a rape scene. <laughs> so he learned something from Get Craven. Which is like, he was just like, you know what? Yo, fuck you, Ron. <laughs> I think I can do one better. I'll show, I can you, make this more I'll show you who's a fat hack. <laughs> And they also got pot shots in at Robert Downey Jr. too. <laughs> so that's the story of Get Craven. And that's also the story of how messed up Hollywood is. Which, if the entire story was how messed up Hollywood was without all the jokey stuff, if he actually tried to be like a little serious with it, like, I think this could have landed as something. I, but I, things being things as they are, Ron Zimmerman's Ron Zimmerman. No. Uh, it was I, never going anywhere. Yeah, I think honestly his biggest thing was framing the whole Craven thing and not using that as just a backdrop to the quote unquote monsters of Hollywood. Calling it Get Craven, ha ha ha, Get Shorty. But Monsters of Hollywood, right off the bat, I think that would have been a much better. And then top it all off, like having the whole series focus on what's going on in Hollywood um, versus, you know, this like Namor showing up and having us like a, a shark scare him off. Yeah. You know, but. With that being said, we're going to go ahead and get to our awards <laughs> for this one. So every single episode, we try and give away a couple awards. Um, this series does suck. 
And we have a couple of rewards that uh, do reflect that. But we do have one that we hold on to, the prestigious Golden Colonel, which is that nice little nugget in the turd that you look at and you say, at least that's a little bright spot in my life. Yeah. So let's go ahead and see some things. First thing, Dishonorable Demise. All right, for the Dishonorable Demise, I have to go ahead and give it to... Vulture's hair plugs. <laughs> uh, in one scene, he has his hair covered up, and he's just like he's got a do rag. Yeah, he's like, what's up with the do rag? He's like, nothing. Be cool, dude. I've always worn this. This is my style. It's like, be cool. It's like, nah, stop, stop, Vulture. Come on, Adrian, show it off. Show it off. So he takes it off, and he's got these awful looking like hair plugs coming in. He's like, think the ladies will like it, uh, and it's never mentioned again. He's bald as a cue ball every appearance afterwards. Yeah, but it actually does kind of get him a girl during that scene though at the pool because he's like talking. He's like, oh, I like the hair plugs. It makes yeah. you look good. And she starts talking about how she likes guys with low self esteem and everything. <laughs> and then he's just like, all right, I got a babe. Because ah. in Hollywood, it's. Not about what you look like or who you are, but who you know. <laughs> yeah. Which, by the way, did we even talk about how Vulture shows up in this? No, he just po- kind of pops he in. He just shows up. That's it. <laughs> he it, shows up in the, the, the office. The, it's the literally the equivalent of, like, a sitcom cameo where the dude just opens the door and it's like, it's crazy Uncle Joey. Like, what are you doing here? You're not even on the right show. Adrian. <laughs> I'm walking here. He's just like, I'm going to help you get your uh, your movie stars. And he's just like him doing like really bad cliches. And he like literally cliches. invites himself in. There was no like, I called for backup. It's just like, hey, how's it going? I hear you're starting up a studio. I need a job. See, I thought it was going to be like a, a one and done joke because at the end of that scene where he pops in, they say, get out. <laughs> because there was that like two page really bad joke. Not bad as in like, oh, that's so bad, he shouldn't have done that. It was like, this was structured so piss poorly. Where like, Craven had, or Al. Al. Al has a a secretary who's uh, got crutches. And then Adrian's going off on the vulture. He's like going off on how lame Hollywood is. It's like, this whole place is lame. You're lame. And then they're like, you shouldn't have called her lame. She's, She's on crutches. And then they keep dragging that out for like two pages. Well, the whole thing was like, he hot... Like, she was, uh, started off, and this, I like this, when they introduced the character that was his assistant, um, she interviewed, and she's like, well, you're not gonna give me the job anyway. He's like, why? Well, because I'm not a size this and that. I'm working on getting in shape, but, you know, it's Hollywood. No, no one ever hires the quote-unquote uggos. Um, so, he's like, dude, you're hired. Like, you have the job. You know what you're doing more than me. Like, I don't care what you look like. You'll be fine. But here, while you're at it, I'll show you some, like, tips and help you if you really feel that bad about yourself to get you in shape. And it's like, all right, that's cool. And she's working not even a day, and the office gets attacked. And she's all... Oh, that's how she got And that. she's all injured and, like, with a crutch. So, like, here comes the vulture with this huge tirade talking, like, nonsense, like, Hollywood, like, 1950s lingo, like, we're gonna set the whole thing on fire, Jack. It's like, on Hollywood, because Hollywood is lame. Everything here is lame. You're lame. You're lame. And he, like, points to her. And she's like, I'm lame? <laughs> and they're like, dude. He's like, she gets up and shows the crutches, and Fulcher's got, like, wah, wah face. Yeah, which, by <laughs> the way, does anyone call someone crippled lame ever? That's, like, another thing that's kind of fallen but, like, the wayside. Yeah. I it's mean, like looking at someone who can't speak and calling them dumb. Yeah. It's just, like, it, it means something else now. Like, the I, culture has evolved. Yeah, but I think it was, like, at that point, it was the equivalent of using the R word. Yeah. Um, and they're like, dude, you shouldn't have done that. You called her lame. And everyone's, like, like shunning the the vulture. So he's just like, 
I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to. It's like, I'm, sh I'm sure you're a great person. And, like, he's trying to, like, backpedal so hard for, like, these two pages. And then at the end, because it's the Vulture and the way they're picked in the character, he's just like, um, you know, up until that moment where I said she was lame, I totally think she was into me, dude. Which leads into our next <laughs> Which leads into award. our next award. We got two awards going to the Vulture. Right. This one is Should Have Swiped Left, which goes to romances that never were or never should have been or were and just fucking sucked. This one was the Vulture, Mac Daddy, just trying to get with every woman he saw, specifically this little uh, lame this secretary. This lame person. And then the blonde at the pool who likes guys with low self-esteem. And then later at the end when he's like flying above, he's just like, oh, look at those chicks down there. <laughs> yeah, basically the vulture was thirsty this entire yeah. series. That's that's probably why he went after Aunt May so much. <laughs> in all fairness, he's just mad that Doc Gog got his first. I was going to say, in all fairness, do you know how many like villains went for Aunt May? Like She, was... she married Dr. Octopus. Right. Which, by the way, Tie back into that JMS story I talked about because their romance is actually brought up in that story if you want to go ahead and take a look at it. But I, I do got to point out, though, if you look at Aunt May in the comics versus Aunt May that's portrayed in Far From Home, you can see why all the people be getting I would. <laughs> and you far, know what? There's a far there's difference. enough Marissa Tomei spank material in this world <laughs> that I can make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh... <laughs> I think uh, our next award has to go to the our fizzle reel, and uh, we touched on them, which was the uh, henchmen, the basically Hollywood um, stitches, urban legends. You have stitches, the need for Hollywood for plastic surgery and constant fixing. The script doctor, the mysterious supernatural doctor that can come and make any script a winner, and Gerbil, uh, Richard Gere's best friend, make anyone's <laughs> ass at home. <laughs> <laughs> He is the father of Lemmy Winks. Lemmy Winks. Lemmy Winks, the Jedi King. And now, we're going up to uh, a new one that we've got right here. It's called Negasonic Teenage Name Drop. And just like we kind of name dropped right in the middle of there, we had a bunch of name drops in here. Kevin Smith, we already talked about to death. Kevin Smith gets brought up like five times an issue. He's like... <laughs> A big sticking point where I, I don't know if Ron Zimmerman knew him because it seems like Kevin Smith was friendly with a lot of people. Yeah. And if he was in with Joe Quesada, I'm sure he was in with Zimmerman because they all hung out. And you know Kevin Smith doesn't believe in bad press. So you could con constantly yeah. make him the villain. You could make him the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. He'd be like, that's freaking awesome. That's me. Yeah. Yeah. No, special called Too Fat to Fly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, he knows it. But another one that kept getting name dropped was Robert Downey Jr. And I think at this time it was like not too far after he got fired from Ally McBeal for yep. all the drugs and stuff and he'd been in and out of rehab. So there were a bunch of Robert Downey Jr. like you don't trust him in Hollywood type of jokes, which is irony of all ironies because guess who becomes the most bankable actor in all of Hollywood when he signed when like John Favreau basically like pleads the higher ups to have him become Tony, Tony Stark. Stark. So and, it's and just like it's really funny because now Tony Stark is Robert Downey Jr. and every comic book yeah. you've read since then, they've dropped off a lot of the things that made Tony Stark Tony Stark and adopted a lot of the snuff. Well, you want to know what was really funny? Uh, he really became to me the Robert Downey Jr. character when Matt Fraction was writing him with Salvador Larroca, yeah. which debuted before the movie even came out, and that was actually based off of visually Burt Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> But it sense. had like that Robert Downey Jr. sense of humor, so it's almost like Matt Fraction and RDJ were like vibing on the same tunes and stuff. Which side note, 
I like it though. <laughs> I like having my side notes. And then we come to our last one, the Golden Colonel. And this one was the most unexpected thing. And this is what makes this probably one of the most consequential comics that I have ever read because of what it attempted to do so far before like anything ever. I think the only thing that did this before this was like the Jay Moore uh, short-lived television series called Action. They did something with the Weinsteins. Mm. And that got canceled even though it had good ratings. I wonder why. why. (laughs) And hey, this got knocked down from seven issues to six. (laughs) I wonder why. (laughs) But you had the whole Weinstein thing going on and it was like so like spot on with everything that we know about these these guys too and also it had like this big push for like feminism I do I was just about to say that I think the second part of this award is and honestly reading back on this 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 comic book if it came out now surprisingly I think it would actually do really well in sales just because of the fact that it tackles on the problems of Hollywood and it's a very like especially for its time period a very pro-feminist um like section in there and the, the whole story revolves around Timber who initially is introduced as um Craven's girlfriend, Craven's Al's, girlfriend, Al's girlfriend or Al's like girl Friday um yeah. and you know she she's basically treated like arm candy she's a actress that works at the bar with no name like a village bar and she's an aspiring actress so he starts dating her and takes goes to Hollywood opens up a studio and says of course we're going to find a part for you, honey. But she's like, no, I'll do my own thing. So she goes, actually, while she's there and starts auditioning. And she's sitting in an audition for this new sitcom, which is a riff on, and this is a name drop, that 70s show. Mm-hmm. Because it was basically... It was like that 80s show or it something, was, it like was something like that. Like that or that day, 60s show. It was that 60s because show. Because they were talking about, like, we've done the 70s, we've yeah, done the 80s, 80s, we're going back to which 60s. Which actually, actually did happen. They did the 70s show, and then they tried to do the 80s, and it failed. And I wouldn't be surprised if someone wrote a script for that 60s show, but that was the whole thing, the decade show. And so you had these two very obnoxious casting directors for the show that are, I guess, also script writers and stuff. Mm -hmm. And she's sitting there waiting for her number to be called up, and in comes another actress um, who is more seasoned, and she's like, you know, this is the fourth callback I've had for this show. I really hope I get the part because, like... I can't afford my medication if I don't get this. Yeah. And she's like, what medication are you on? I was like, oh, just antidepressants. It's like, which ones? Oh, just a few of them. And she lists off like a pharmacy's list of like Zaxel, Profol, Ritalin. Because she needs to, yeah, to get through all of this. And she's like, I can't, like, if I don't get this part, I don't know what I'll do. And then has like an OD seizure right then and there. Yeah, and the other sad part is like the secretary knows exactly what's going on she's, she's like, like sympathetic yeah the secretary just she's like oh it's okay we're just gonna go and she just had too much oh like how do you know because i'm on them too, too. Like, like yeah i'm on them too she'll be fine just leave her in the corner she'll be okay yeah so in goes timber for the audition and like all like whatever you're gonna say is like tell them you like the movie that's the only the main thing or the script you you love the script so she goes in there and in very much like naive way just goes like oh, what did you think of the script oh i thought it was very cute and they're like, did you just say cute? You may as well have just said, like, it was a steaming pile of garbage. So they got insulted because you didn't think that their show was just the masterpiece. Like, yeah. the freaking, you know, war and peace. No, it was, she called it cute. And that was their biggest <clears throat> insult. And they're like, who the hell do you think you are? Like, you two-bit girl. Like, you you think that you know more than us who've been working in this industry for forever? And it's like... You should guys get the fuck out of here. Like, they're basically just demeaning the shit out of her. And she just has it. And just, she gets up and just beats the ever-loving crap out of them. And then calls over her wolf and be like, if you really want to start with me, 
he'll tear you apart. He's like, and like, I'm gonna tell you how this is gonna go. I don't wanna be in your stupid sitcom anyway. It's crap. It's literally the same formula of kids hanging out just in a different time period. You're gonna give it to that girl out there who's been here four different times. And like, well, we don't know if we can give it to her. The studios might not want her. You're gonna give it to her. And she like six the dogs on them. They're like, all right, we're gonna give yeah. it to her. We promise. You got a timber wolf named Nichols. Yeah. And she's just Game like, over. and she's like, listen, I know at some point you're gonna wake up from this beating and you're gonna go ahead and say, I wanna get them back. And she's like, well, no, we would never do that. We would never do that. She's like, no, no. I know you're going to wake up from this beating and you're going to do this. Maybe not now, but at some point you're going to have the bright idea that you're going to get back at me. And I just want you to know when you're doing it, I'm ready for you. So anytime, mm-hmm. we, we'll do this and I'll just spank you all over again. And she just basically <clears throat> walks out and she's like, screw this actress crap. I'm going to be a producer. Yeah. And actually that actress that she got hired, she was at the, the pool party too. Yeah. Because then they were talking, it was like, so how's the thing? I was like, oh, the pilot wasn't being picked up. And it was yeah. like, well, it was a good amount of money, right? I was like, yeah, I just, I think I'm going to go home. Like, like the whole thing just kind of got to her and she had like a come to Jesus moment where she's like, I'm going to get like a job away from all this stress, which is like really good resolution to this. Yeah. And so, I mean, I really liked it because and it definitely tackled on the struggles of the actress, uh, actresses and the acting process as awful, like the worst case scenario that it can be. But it turned around on his head, and it gave her a moment where she wasn't just Al's girlfriend. But, like, you could see... Because, like, they've been hinting at the whole point, like, that she's been keeping Al on prop. Like, she'll be like, did you remember to do this today? Did you remember to do that? Did you find this person? So she's been low-key, like, keeping him in line. But, like, now you actually see where she gets her strength from. Like, that she is, in and of herself, regardless of whether she was dating him or not, um, her own strong woman. Which... Honestly, because they did that scene, it hurt so much more when they did yeah. the rape. Because mm-hmm. it was like, they definitely took that away from her. Because she was far more victim during well, the Well, she came back at the end and but she, she did. beat the hell out of the Rothstein sisters with but, like a club with spikes in it. Yeah. <laughs> but she did She did find her like power again afterwards. That, I was I was really happy with that. I, I love Timber's whole like Hollywood journey. That's honestly one of the best parts of this particular series was just how how much they gave to her as a character, even though she's not like a superhero, not but like they made it so she was a strong female character, independent of the usual tropes. Because I mean, in comic books, when a character gets raped and stuff, that's it. Like they're a fuel. They become like girl in fridge yeah. for the superhero, and mm-hmm. they're never spoken about again. No. No follow up, no resolution other than like, are you okay? I will get them for you. She's like, nah. And it's just crazy to me that this was done in such a bad story. It was. Like, so, but with that being said, uh, would you recommend this story? Here's the thing. I think nowadays I would because of the parables that are going on there. And I think that it's becoming more and more exposed. Um, if you told me at the time, I'd be like, no, it's a Spider-Man story that doesn't feature Spider-Man. It barely features Kraven. It's got a bunch of fat, farty guys. It's a, it's a bunch of fat, f- yeah, a bunch of fat, farty guys in there, and there's not a single, like, character that's in it. And none of the characters actually fit with their things. Like, I, I did want to point this out, but in a, a kind of a crisis and continuity thing, Spider-Man was okay with how they took out 
like what they did to uh, Ned. They killed the the mastermind behind this. Yeah. Well, actually, no. Spider Man wasn't there though. But Spider Man. Spider Man was fighting like Spider Man said Connie Hunt. Was... Ooh, oh yeah. That, oh, we did forget about Hunt. That. <laughs> there was the, uh, there was a like Olivia Pope type character called Connie Hunt. We know what that means. Yeah, I already said it. Yeah, <laughs> and um, her big thing was that she could fix anything. But then you find out like she's like a death robot. It's like it was like she's so cold, like some kind of evil cyborg. She turns out she is like an evil cyborg, literally almost like if you've seen Rick and Morty, the evil version of Beth that he produces. So she's just got like giant buzz sauce for hands and super like mincing teeth. And uh, Spider Man goes ahead and continue picks up the fight from Al while Al goes after figures out who's behind all of this and confronts his illegitimate brother um but the thing that's really weird is how many times has Spider-Man stopped or condemned someone for killing because killing is not the answer and in this time he's like I took care of him it's fine and it's like, all right, well, that was cool. I'm going to go back to New York now. See ya. Love all you. right, bye. Hang <laughs> on my wife, two Dr. Octopuses, yeah, and, and then a lobster. And freaking even the Vulture's character, never again was he portrayed this, like... Altruistic? I mean, altruistic, yeah. I mean, he's always been portrayed as an odd duck, even in, like, other series where they give him screen time. And he's just like, dude, why are you talking like that? Like, do you not know what time period you live in? Like, these rascally kids? Because he's just perpetual old man stereotype. But the mm. fact that he was so altruistic and, like actually a good guy in spite of being rough around the edges was an odd character yeah. for him so i i 100 recommend this as well like yeah. it don't read it for the story though no god damn do not read it for the story this is what this is like i i actually kind of revel in bad jokes like if someone makes a bad joke i host an open mic night like i have to revel in bad jokes i'm the guy saying those bad jokes all the time but when i read it sometimes it's just like oh man like i feel for you ron but there's like so much bad beats that hit here, but the, it's so relevant. Like it, there's nothing about this that is irrelevant right now. You, you know what's really funny? Um, you know Mad Magazine, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, how like they recently announced that they're no longer printing new ma- uh, new material. They're just like basically vintage Mad Magazine. If they went and printed this story, just put Mad Magazine, get Craven. I guarantee you it would be this a pretty would good fit with the Mad Magazine art style and everything. It would be a perfect thing down to the art style and the storyline. It would be straight perfect. What was the for... Marvel version of it? Was it crazy? Yeah, I think it was it, it was something like that. Uh, there there was a Marvel version of like Cracked and Mad I that know. just I think it I sucked. I think it was crazy. Maybe it was crazy, I don't know. And it didn't do so well. It was yeah. terrible. Yeah. But that like, was terrible. <laughs> all I could think about is like this almost seems like a Mad Magazine parody. And if, it, it should have been. If they did that, then it, it would have worked, I feel like. But as far as what they were pitching it as, as far as like putting the art to the covers that they were doing, which like awesome Joe Casada art, then you open it up, you got John McCrea. And even and, to the point where like at the very last issue, like it's supposed to be seven issues, then it gets cut down to six. And then Joe Casada even like jumps off board after issue five and it's Mike Diodato still good yeah. I love Mike, me some Mike Diodato but before I leave I do want to just mention you have to acknowledge it go I don't know how we didn't have an award for this one but Nichols the Timberwolf spoke on the very very last page and I can, I'm not going to give you a specific because I don't have it right here in front of me but it's basically like huh isn't it weird that this was a, a pitched as a seven-issue series? And isn't it also fun that I waited all this time to talk? And that's the last thing you see from it before the end. Yeah, right there. I, I'm going to 
create a thing, I think astonishing animals. Because I feel like we have quite a few of them happening that... Astonishing you know, animals. So. Yeah, we got it. Nichols, you just got astonishing <laughs> animals. Our first one. Yippee. <laughs> and now we're going to go ahead, uh, getting away from this. If you want to read something else that's kind of along the same lines of what we saw in here, like we've got a couple recommendations for you, stuff that you can actually stomach as you read. So go ahead. I'll let you have the first one, Bruno. All right. Uh, the first one is if you want a really good Craven storyline, um, I think Hunted. Uh, it just came out actually this year, and it is basically Craven, the original Craven, not Craven 2.0, um, has come back from the dead after the story of Gauntlet, which is also a pretty good follow-up series if you want to read it. And it actually does feature Al. Um, it also features Vulture. And, yeah, it does feature Vulture. That's right. Uh, this one also features Vulture, too. And Vulture in kind of a semi-altruistic, at least on the surface. On the surface. Actually, this is probably the best characterization of Vulture. So if you want to read this thing where you get to find out how the Vulture got his name, you would re really want to yeah. read the Hunted series. And I'll give you a quick little synopsis of it. Essentially, Craven has decided that he needs to reestablish his um, legacy as well as dealing with a curse that came from his resurrection that says that he can only be taken out by the spider. Mm. Uh, reference clearly to Spider-Man. So he gathers a bunch of these wannabe hunters, these, you know, like the people that go out to... The, the people who, like, pay a lot of money to have guys take them on a safari so they can shoot a rhino in the face. Yeah, that while the rhino's just sitting there feeding. Not poachers, actually, poachers. Yeah, just straight up, like, poachers and, like, rich people that are just going on, mm -hmm. like, vacations just to get that one photo op. They're not actually doing the work. Um, and so he's, like, they're cheapening what it means to hunt. So he sets up this big arena. He's he gets arcade and domes off Central Park, and he starts capturing all of these animal-themed heroes and villains. And then he, using this as a big gala event, he creates the ultimate hunt for the most dangerous animal and uh, inevitably gets Spider-Man in. And I'm not going to give away any of the spoilers, but trust me, it's a series worth reading. It takes a lot of twists and turns, and it definitely sets up the Craven legacy as well as giving Craven a much-needed facelift because his motivations to came back was kind of weird. But now, at the end of the resolution of the story, you know where Craven stands and you know what's going to go on from here. Yeah. Uh, my recommendation, I'm going to kind of jump off the fact that this is like a total Garth Ennis ripoff. And uh, I was going to recommend Thor Vikings, but now that I remember it, like I don't really remember too much of the story other than I really liked it. Um, it was a Max series, Garth Ennis writing it, and it's just like super out there, out of continuity. And if you want to see like regular Marvel characters doing stuff they don't usually do, uh, Glenn Fabry artwork is really cool, super graphic violence. Um, but... Uh, if you want to read some good Garth Ennis that's also in this vein, then Welcome Back Frank and Punisher Army of One yeah. are two of my favorites. And they're actually some of the most iconic Punisher stories ever made. Welcome Back Frank is basically after they realized, hey, we kind of messed up with Punisher. When Marvel Knights launched, they decided like they were going to reinvent a lot of stuff, so they turned Punisher, Punisher into, into a literal angel, angel of death, death. which we'll cover. Trust me. <laughs> that will happen. Going to cover both of his series. Yes. That didn't last very long, thankfully. But then he came back. Yeah, there were only... Uh, both of them were only four issues. Okay, I thought you were also talking about... There were miniseries. No, I, I got that, but... Well, then we had a... Uh, I thought you were, Frank. you were talking about Frankencastle. You said both of the times he No, died. no, no. Actually, because... <laughs> no, Frankencastle kicked ass. 
I was going to say, that's why I was thrown off when you said both of the times. I thought you were referencing no, both no, the times he died. No, no, it's both uh, miniseries that they had. Oh, yeah, right. It was right. like Michael he, Golden, he uh, did, Jay Lee. He did have two series. Did the artwork for... Oh, no, not Jay Lee, was it? Pat Lee, the one that has the really bad anime style. Yes. <laughs> did one of them. But then they came back and Garth Ennis kind of got pulled over after Hitman and Preacher was going really strong at this time. They said, I want you to write Punisher. And this was the start of like the most iconic run of Punisher stories like he had his like cartoony version in the Marvel Knights which basically kind of sat outside of continuity mm-hmm. where he ran into the characters the Punisher there was Joe and the Mouse like he ran into, like Manucci and stuff like that and then he established himself as like this big badass and he even like fought a polar bear yes he, he did he did <laughs> one of them he did wrestle a polar bear <laughs> yeah but my the one that always sticks out to me was the very first Punisher story I ever read was Punisher Army of One, which is the follow-up to that one, where the Russian, who had got his head taken off at the end of it, like comes back, and he's wearing a big flower dress, and he's got these giant yeah, boobs, because he's just like, yeah, they took me, they made me better, and uh, I wanted them bigger. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's got like everything you would think should be in a Garth Ennis comic, it's like right there. You know what's, you've just established the tone no one's ever going to be able to read anything that the Russian said and not think of that voice. <laughs> he says so many other things too like that I can't even remember but I, I, every time he opens his mouth I crack the hell up because like Garth Ennis, first of all, he's like a master of dialogue. Even in the cartoony stuff like he, it's pitch perfect. Like it's amazing the stuff he does for it. So go with, check out Punisher. Welcome back, Frank, and Punisher Army of One. We've also got the Hunted. I mentioned it before. Also, please check out Damateus' stuff where Al was starting off with the 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 chameleon. Actually, it's a really good starting point yeah. before you go read this if you want to seriously read this. So with that being said. We got everything done. Everything's covered. We're about to sign off here, but I'm going to ask you, Bruno. I know we kind of discussed this a little bit. I'm kind of like riding high on this Ron Zimmerman is an oracle energy, and I would like to continue like a whole slate of. He doesn't have a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah. You want to just knock out like all of Ron Zimmerman's stuff? I think that would be a great idea. Next time we come back, we're going to be coming back with uh, again another. I believe first. For a mainstream Marvel comic, they yeah. took the Rawhide Kid, which was a popular Western series before Marvel got into like superheroes and stuff, and they made him gay, which was one of the first mainstream gay comic characters to have his own title. Not just gay, super gay. Super gay. If, if gayness was a superpower, he would have. Now, he had two series. We're only going to cover the first one for this next one. It was a Max series. Yeah. Uh, so kind of get your mind in, in that one. Because the Max series that, is all about going into the gutter. Yeah. And then we're going to go ahead and just knock out the rest of the Zimmerman oeuvre. <laughs> and we'll actually cap that one off with uh, Zimmerman's ha- follow-up to Rawhide Kid, the Rawhide Kid, the Fabulously Magnificent Seven. I, I'm almost positive that like he's writing these things and TV's just playing in the background, and it's like clearly like get shorty when he was writing like I need to do a Craven script. Got it. Even though Monsters of Hollywood was like, such a better. Yeah, well, you could thank like El Spagnol for that. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> that's the only place that you'll find it. Like Spider Man, El Monstruos de Hollywood. Like everywhere else, it's get Craven. Then you got the Rawhide Kid. You could clearly tell he was watching like Brokeback Mountain. He's like, I could do it better. And then the Magnificent. Come on, the Fabulous Seven. You're clearly watching the Magnificent Seven. It's almost like TV was his best friend. Yeah. And in between two, like we also get into like the uh, the Uda side with Bill Jameis. Ultimate Adventures, which 
Shit, man. That, oh, that launches into a whole other thing, too. Oh, we're going to have to restructure the whole thing. Guys, forget what we just said. We're continuing with Ron Zimmerman. Uh, Fabulous Magnificent 7 might not be the last one. We might end with Ultimate Adventures so we can springboard into the bullshit that was Marvel and <laughs> Trouble. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just yes. get the whole thing going. So we're going to be signing off right now. Thank you so much for joining us on this, uh, this Hollywood dirt story that's the most... I can't believe that this existed at the time it did. It, yeah, uh, it's. It, I gotta give Ron Zimmerman credit. I mean, going on up against the Weinstein's on the heyday. But is thing. he a friend of the gays? We will find out next time <laughs> on Oh God, God it burns. My name is Nick. My name is Bruno, and we'll see you next time. Oh God, it burns.